eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Oh, do I remember that day. It was 2001, and we were taping an Oprah show about women who sing. We had a newcomer by the name of Alicia Keys. It was her national television debut. Wow. Now, of course, she's known as one of the most talented performers of her generation, selling over 35 million records worldwide. Success did not happen overnight, however. It never does for anybody. Alicia's first label wanted to mold her into a young pop sensation. And Alicia knew enough to remain true to her R&B roots. After teaming with the legendary Clive Davis, he's the one who discovered Whitney Houston, Bruce Springsteen, Aretha Franklin, Alicia's career took off, and she's not landing anytime soon. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Alicia Keys. We're all like walking a journey that is constantly evolving before us. And so the best way I've found to be able to live fully during that journey is to really uncover who you are and be honest with yourself. I think music was definitely always a part of my life. I remember being about four and really falling in love with singing, with the action of doing it. That's when I was first kind of presented with the opportunity to learn a song and potentially kind of audition for our little kindergarten play. <laughs> I had this really incredible kindergarten teacher who was very eccentric and full of personality, and her name was Miss Hazel. She got the idea that she wanted us to perform The Wizard of Oz. That was the first time I remember learning Somewhere Over the Rainbow and practicing it and singing it. I got the part of Dorothy, and I remember being terrified to sing in front of the school. I mean, this is potentially the most intimidating feeling you can maybe ever feel in your life. It was terrifying, but once I sang it and, I, and we did it, it was so exhilarating. It was such a feeling. It was such a feeling that I'll never, ever forget. I surely wasn't thinking about the rest of my life back then, but I was definitely taken. I remember being physically affected. I felt it. It was something that I felt. I was excited about it. It felt good. Every time I sing, I feel that same exact way, that I'm affected and that I want to do it again. I think that's, you know, my first moment that I was really just 
bitten. I was like, I couldn't believe that you could feel that way doing something. It was the first time I felt that thing. I started playing the piano when I was somewhere between six and seven. Every time I passed a piano in a window or anything, I was like, really, it's like, whoa. The way that it looked and it was so long and shiny and it just looked so incredible. There was this feeling like, I want to play this thing. I didn't know how to play or what to do. And because I started to really like just die to play piano, I started to study classical piano. When you study classical, you have to practice, obviously, a lot. Well, when you do anything, you have to practice a lot. Remember, my grandmother played piano, and when she would come, you know, maybe she'd come for a little bit in the summer or help my mother out with me. I would have to practice, and she would kind of sit beside me while I would practice and help me to go through it. She's just that full, beautiful, bright, great, loving energy. And, you know, she's everything that, that all grandmothers are. Her presence and her knowledge and her wisdom is a lot of what I think fills me and, and nurtures me and nourishes me even now. You know, grandmothers are the best invention. <laughs> the best invention, grandmothers. Stay busy. That's one of my best lessons learned. I grew up in New York City, Hell's Kitchen, and it looked exactly how it sounds. It's kind of bubbling over with many different types and kinds and things. It was like a mixture of all kinds of people, and I tend to remember that it was like the hub for the disenfranchised. Everybody who kind of didn't have a place to belong belonged in Hell's Kitchen. So be it a transvestite or a pimp or a prostitute or a drug dealer or a, you know, kind of person who was just very eccentric and artistic and unique. It was a mixture. I lived in this really big building. It's like this artist building that my mother was so fortunate to find when she moved to New York. It's just my mother and I, and she's an amazing woman, and she did a lot herself to be able to make a decent life for us in a really tough city, raising a young girl, a teenage girl, and like a, it's tough out here, it's tough. And I think she really expected a lot from me, and so I didn't want to let her down. She definitely kept me busy, and I always had to go somewhere. Like, I didn't have time to kind of sit around and chop it up and, okay, just hang out on the corner and chill on a block and, all right, whatever's happening, I'm getting into that too and whatever everyone's going to do, I'm doing that too. I didn't have time. So I maybe could stop for a minute, hey, what's up, good, good, and I had to go. I definitely think that was her technique to keep me out of trouble. Not that I stayed totally out of trouble, but there is some place I had to be. I think it's important to have to be somewhere. Find somewhere to be because it's like, you're in a forward motion, you're going somewhere, you're doing something, you're, you're busy. The first time I wrote a song was after my grandfather had passed away. And I felt really sad about it. Obviously, I loved him very much. And I think I felt more sad about the fact that my grandmother was so sad. I'd never seen her like that. I was pretty young then, so I never knew that something could be such a blow to somebody. That was like really hard for me to see. I didn't know who she was in that space. So I just had a lot of emotions about it. And then my mother and I went to go see the movie Philadelphia, which is this deep movie that Tom Hanks did about a man with AIDS and 
him passing away from it, I remember just running home and all of the things I wanted to say about losing my grandfather, about seeing this film, about what that felt like. And, and, and I just sat down and I started to play. I wrote words, the first words that came to my head. I played music and I remember being all night there and then finishing and having this song. And it was the first time I ever did that and the first time I ever understood how you can just feel something so deeply and it can come out of you into the world like that. I think I felt really relieved. I think I finally found a way to get out, you know, something I was holding in for so long. And that was the first time I felt so much, much lighter. I was 16 when I graduated as valedictorian. I went to a performing arts high school and it's really small. So everybody that went there had an interest in the arts. You know, somebody was a dancer or somebody was a singer or somebody was an actor or a playwright or something aspiring to be. I was accepted to Columbia University on scholarship and I was also signed to Columbia Records. Same time, 16. For me, the toughest part was figuring out how to actually tell my mother that I was choosing the record business over college. <laughs> my mother is a serious woman. When I was a kid, man, she was tough. She challenged me like no one would ever challenge me. And to this day, I have a particular way of speaking to people because of the way that she challenged me. She was also a paralegal, which means she was heavy into law. And I swear, she like gave me the third degree all the time. If I didn't have every fact actually planned out and lined up to be able to present my case, it was not going down. I remember specifically planning the entire thing out when I was going to speak to her and tell her, I think I have an opportunity and I probably have to focus on it. So I brought her to a really loud place because I knew she couldn't whoop me. <laughs> she couldn't hit me in front of all those people. <laughs> So I said, here, and I took her to eat, and I presented my case. I had it all written down in my book as to why and the positives and the negatives and the reasons. And, you know, she, she took it all in, and she wasn't as angry as I thought. I mean, I think, obviously, thinking back on it now, she, you know, she's an artist, and she could understand my passion and my love for wanting to do it. I thought she was never going to go for it. In that moment when I was planning my case, I was like, I gotta win. <laughs> I always have treated everything like it's my only chance. This is the only chance that I'll ever get. It was getting a little bit closer with the whole Columbia scenario and they were really moving towards potentially signing me. And so they brought me up into this room and it's just the most beautiful room I'd ever seen. I mean, I was like 16 or 17, and there's this white grand piano in front of this wall of windows against the backdrop of New York City. And I walked in and I was like, <gasps> I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even believe it. I gave it my all and I sang my songs and I played my little heart out against the backdrop of Manhattan. And I was like, mm, the white baby grand piano. I was like, yes, I'll do anything for that piano. Then it was like the big top dog, the super big guy, and me and my manager. The guy was like, you know, well, we're pretty close. 
he said something to the nature of like, you know, he'll basically give me the piano if I do the deal. And I was like, yes! <laughs> and my man's just like, whoa, wait a minute. We're not doing this deal for no damn piano. <laughs> but to me, that white baby grand piano was everything. We obviously did not do the deal for only a piano. They did end up giving me a piano. It was not white, to my dismay, but it was my first piano. And I still have it, actually. I still have that piano. I got signed to Columbia Records. It's like, I'm on my way. Far from on my way at that point. It was difficult. They didn't quite know who I was or what to do. You know, I played my own music. I played the piano. I wrote my own songs. I had very clear ideas of what I wanted to do and how I wanted it to sound. And if I had just gone along with what everybody wanted me to do, I have a feeling things might have been really great and it might have really worked out and I'd have been just miserable because I would have to sing songs I'd hated that I didn't even believe in, that didn't even represent me or didn't really mean something to me. I would have just kind of been maybe on this kind of road where I'm doing what people tell me to do because I'm hoping that it'll take me where I'm praying to go. They tried to put me with different producers, but that didn't quite evolve. And they did all these songs, and they heard them, and they said, it sounds like a big demo, which that hurt my feelings, obviously, at the time. And they were like, you should do it again. You should go in with other people. You don't know what you're doing, that type of thing. I always knew that I wanted to be somebody that was I just wanted to be myself. I just wanted to be who I was. I always felt kind of really strongly about being that girl that was me, you know, who maybe wasn't super refined or super perfect, but here I was. Maybe I don't put on the big long dresses and the big all, like maybe I don't have all of that, but, but I'm still a girl. My manager was very, very supportive. He really believed in that too. He could have probably been like, well, this is your shot, kid. You probably should switch it up and put on a dress or something. But, you know, instead, he, he believed as well. So he said to Columbia Records, if you don't like it, then let me go. And they didn't want to do that either. They're like, we don't like you. We're not about to let you go. So it was tough to the point where we had to try to get out of the deal. We ended up proactively seeking out other people who would want to be interested in, in working with me. We met Clive Davis, and he felt very clear about the type of artist that I was, and he ended up buying me out of that deal. When I walked into that office, that's when I really got a sense of who he is. Obviously, it was like Whitney Houston, but the things that blew my mind, then I got to like Bruce Springsteen, then I got to Janis Joplin, then I got to like Earth, Wind and Fire. I mean, it was the who's who legend list of greatest artists that ever created music that hung on his wall of who he helped to discover. To see all of those people, you know, who I admire so much and who have made such an incredible impact on music and to know that this man was a person behind them, it was awe-inspiring. I was just jaw-dropping. We were starting to create some really good music, and there was something different. It was something unique. He has this really cool instinct that, you know, he still has, and he always, I think, has had, 
where he knows which artists are the ones that maybe are needing to craft their own sound and style and songs and when you just need to let an artist go and find that space. And I think he somehow knew that and saw that in me and he really just let me find it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. When success came, it hit like a whirlwind. Alicia's rigorous touring schedule and media demands were overwhelming to her. She was starting to buckle under all of the stress and needed a break. She took three weeks off and went on a trip that would change her life forever. That's crazy. This was crazy. It was exciting, you know, it was everything that I ever could have dreamed of as well. I was having the time of my life, but it was, it's hard. It's a ton of work, it's very little sleep. It's constant mo motion, constant movement, constant cities, constant packing, constant leaving, constant flying, constant going, constant never coming backing. I didn't even know where I lived half the time. At that time I was 19, you know, or 20, and just going. Then you're meeting people and dealing with people that are lying to you. They're telling you things that are not true because they want to get whatever they want out of you. And so you're trying to discern, wait a minute, I'm uncomfortable with this, wait. There was kind of some relationships and, and friendships and things that were just like becoming a little unhealthy. I remember there was some heavy business changes that I needed to make at the time. It happens with everyone. It's just like you kind of have to learn the right thing. It was just a whirlwind. The only way to maintain that was to have a lion's focus and drive. I think my drive has had a twofold effect on me. It's definitely made me a better artist in the sense of always wanting to strive for more and push harder and write better and sing better and perform better and things like that. And I think it's also had some negative effects on me too. There was a time where I was just so relentless, like I was just like filling up every space I could possibly fill and moving as fast as I could possibly move at every moment. I would just find myself in, in places just with tears rolling down my face, tears rolling down my face. And it was so weird, you know, I was just like empty because I just didn't, I guess I started to feel disconnected, you know, I didn't know myself or I didn't know I didn't have enough time to slow down to kind of like connect my soul back inside or something. It was always like I was just so fast ahead. There was like bits of me in the back or something. And um, I think I became too machine-like or too uh, hardened or too like 
stone-walled, you know? I was like, I always had to just be on and focused and moving forward, and my vision was like kind of just like that, which is good in some way, but life is a balance. So I took a break. I took three weeks, three whole weeks. <laughs> huh. I went to Egypt, and I sailed down the Nile, and I saw the tombs, and I saw the, the temples, and I saw the pyramids. I sang at the top of the pyramids. I was just reinvigorated. That was big, and that's my first time I really went anywhere by myself, you know, and just kind of went and was by myself to experience myself and myself in an environment, you know, as opposed to so many things or people or whatever. So that was, that was amazing. I think time for yourself is the most difficult thing to find sometimes, but such an important thing. I personally think that you're just able to, to vibrate on another level, you know? And I think that's the thing that I, that I learned the most from being by myself. It's like usually you're on a trip with someone, you know, and you're having a great time. But you're wanting to know, are they hungry? Are you wanting to know where do they want to go? Are they happy to go to do this thing? Are we going to go do this? Or maybe we're going to be cool to just stay in? Or, and you're spending so much time kind of considering what someone else is comfortable or happy to do that you're not just for, the, for your instincts, you know, just saying, hmm, what do I want to do? I'm just going to stay in. Or oh, I'm going to go out and eat. I'm going to go read my book. Whatever the case is, it's this beautiful freedom to be able to just have a moment where you choose whatever it is you choose because it's what's perfect for you at that moment. That trip to Egypt was the beginning of me starting to uncover kind of myself and really find out who I was at that present moment. I had this time in my life where I was just so angry at people in my life. I was so angry about certain things that had happened, say, in my childhood. And I just, you know, I decided I was just, I was just gonna have an attitude towards people and I was gonna be really reserved and step back from them. And I wasn't gonna curb my tongue anymore. I was gonna say whatever I wanted to say and do whatever I wanted to do. And in this particular case, I guess it was really directed towards my father. I felt that there were certain responsibilities or things that a father is supposed to do that I didn't get from him. It was inconsistent or promises made, not kept. You know, these things that kind of can, you know, they, they hurt a child. That was where I think that anger kind of stemmed from and that holding on to past things or holding on to assumptions I had made or holding on to reasons why I felt he was not there but should have been. And as time passed and I got older, I realized that maybe he wanted to reconcile with me, but I didn't really want to. Why should I? There's no reason to. And I realized one day, I remember it hit me just like a ton of bricks, that here I am, so angry, I'm so mad. I'm writing all these kind of like mean letters and things, and I am burning up inside. I mean, I'm really burning up but I'm not speaking about how I feel. So I'm just holding in all this anger and I'm cultivating it and turning it around and mushing it and making it worse. And I realized finally at one point that the only person that gets hurt from all this anger that I swear I'm kind of like telepathically sending to one individual is me. 
I'm the one. I'm the one that's suffering from it. I'm the one that's miserable because of it. I'm the one that has all this burning energy inside and things that I feel angry about. I'm the one. That person has no idea what I'm going through because I haven't said it. I realize that there's a time that you have to let it go. You have to let it go and you have to be honest about how you feel and you have to start to probably uncover, I had to start to uncover, the fact that we're all human. We all go through different experiences and, and the way that it affected me might not quite be exactly how it happened. That's just how I remember it happening to me. And that, that was a big revelation for me. That was a big deal for me and a big turning point for me to really kind of realize that one, you know, things are not just black and white, you know, things are full of complexities. I really do believe in the power of words. I think that it's the most incredible thing. When I first met my writing partner, I had a certain attitude. I would always be like, well, you know my luck. Well, probably with my luck, we're never gonna, you know, and, you know, so crucial, that's his name. He said to me, you know, why do you say that? And I was like, what? I mean, it was funny to me. I didn't see the problem. And he was like, why do you say those things? You'll never, you know my luck or how it goes for me. Like, why do you say that? You know, that, that that's how it's going to be if that's how you say it's going to be. And that was so big for me because I never thought about that before. I never thought that the things I was saying just nonchalantly as a joke were actually creating what was going to happen for me in my life. And when I thought about it and when I actually internalized it, I realized, wow, bag, I say if a lot, or I say probably won't a lot. I don't want to say those anymore. So I decided to take, like, I don't even use the word if. Anybody around me uses the word if, I'm always saying, you mean when? You mean when? So I don't even believe in the word if. Like, I don't think it should exist, that word. And I really appreciate having been exposed to that concept that the words that we speak, the things that we say in our life, the things that I say in my life every day is really you're like building your road with those words. I really learned what everyone meant when they said, you know when you know, when I met my husband. I never knew what that meant and it sounded to me like some weird kind of slogan. I'm like, you know when you know? What do you mean you know when you know? But actually, you do know when you know. And that's with everything with life. You know when you know. Like, you know it. You feel it. And it's just that we convince ourselves that we're not feeling it, or we convince ourselves that it's not right or something. But you do know when you know. He's just like such an incredibly crazy, spontaneous, full of life, like, person that he's just bubbling over with life. I've never met a person like him, ever. Few of us are able to be that free to just follow our light, you know, just follow it and know that it's going to lead you where you're meant to go. So he's definitely taught me a lot about freedom and a lot about spontaneity and being open to life and how it's going to happen. I think before, I was always so kind of regimented about how everything had to happen. And I had to plan it all out perfect. but. That's not quite life. I mean, that's part of life. Don't get it wrong. You definitely have to plan things and execute them. But there's also another part of life that's very, very spontaneous. It's very natural. It kind of unfolds and it happens to you. Our son, he is like the my heart burster. 
See, my heart burster is just overflowing and bursting. It's crazy. And I named my son Egypt. And, you know, the more that I think of it now, you know, the more I realize what a transformative trip that was for me. And I knew that. And that's why when we were speaking about names, and, and that's actually my husband who was like, you know, that's such an important trip for you that, that really changed you, that meant so much to you. What if we name our baby Egypt because we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl? And that instantly, instantly, like, resonated with me. And I was like, that's it. And I knew that that was going to be Egypt. I'm learning so much from him. I think we kind of get to this place where we just swear we got it all down, and we just know every single thing, and we've seen it all, and we just did it all. And it's like, what about those little things of wonder? You know, those amazing little things that are just full of wonder, like when the whole room goes dark and it's so exciting. Or like when you see an airplane fly across the sky. It's like you just discover how much a person learns, you know, how much a child learns and how much we're capable of learning because there's always something new or something to rediscover that we've forgotten why it's, it's so special. I think about that actually all the time. I think about the fact that the music that I'm able to do is really something that I believe in. You know, it came from a place in my DNA at some point. And I feel proud of that, you know, that every time I sing it, even if it's a song 10 years old, I feel that same way about that song, and I love it. You know, you write a song for whatever reason you write it, and you don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to affect people or what's it going to mean for somebody. And you know what it means for you, but what's it going to mean for somebody else? I have had very incredible instances where I've really been able to realize it. One, that was this woman, and, and, I, and I met her, and I was going, getting ready to do a show, and she was like, are you going to play Unbreakable? And she kept asking me, I was I going to play a song I wrote called Unbreakable? And I was like, I don't... I usually play with people. I don't exactly tell them what I'm going to play. I'm like, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. So I'm like playing with her, and she's, she's, she's persistent. Are you going to play Unbreakable? And I was like, I don't know. You have to wait and see. And then she told me that she had been diagnosed with cancer and that, you know, she played Unbreakable every day during her chemo. She played it every day of her life, and she had been X amount of years cancer-free, and she felt Unbreakable was the song that helped her get through it. It really stuck with me, and it really... It just really knocked me over. That has happened to me on a couple of instances that have made things just so much more profound than I could ever have imagined or thought. When Alicia Keys first performed on The Oprah Show in 2001, it was pretty clear that she was headed for superstardom. And thanks to her mother, who kept her busy and out of trouble, she was prepared for it. I love how she learned that words do have power and banished the phrase, if, from her vocabulary. She is living proof that when you pour out your soul, your passion will be right in front of you. As Alicia continues to chart hit after hit, she remains still a humble soul, even though to all of us, she has clearly arrived. I believe that, you know, there's so much more to always go. Like, there's a higher place you can reach. You're never your best. You're never your best. So there's more to aspire to. I think that kind of attitude 
has just always been for me kind of how I keep going forward. And I, I don't know if that's a mixture of how I grew up and just kind of like always seeing the bottom in my mind. In my mind, I kind of always can see the bottom. I'm never that far from the bottom in my mind. Not in a sense of negativity or of taking myself down, but in a sense of understanding and, and gratitude. So maybe that's why I could feel like I arrived at this recent, you know, billboard, because I could actually sit in myself and just feel proud of being somewhere that felt so much like a, a great accomplishment or a proud moment for me because I finally kind of learned how to um, be okay with that and like be, be comfortable there. So maybe that's why. Huh, who knew this was gonna be therapy? <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.